This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Earthbound. Now listen, if there really are blue scaly creatures out there like some of you have been saying, don't you know this is just what they'd want you to do? Panic? Now what I know is, the Air Force believes that for some reason that spacecraft was disabled, that it was forced to land here. And that if we're willing to act fast enough in the defense of our country, well then maybe, just maybe we can stave off the onslaught of alien creatures until the National Guard gets here. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast with the hot take that you shouldn't dye a chimp green, but you should give one a mullet. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'm uh, really horrified. I mean, honored to be on. <laughs> See what I did there? I took me a second, but I caught on. Yeah, yeah. So this week, we're joined by a guest. Travis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So before we get into this week's episode, Travis, like, what's, what's your history with like TV sci-fi? Do you, is it a genre you watch a lot of, or is this kind of out of your, out of your comfort zone? I don't know. It's kind of strange, because I feel like this is something I totally would have watched when it came out, for sure. But... Um, I also never really watched much besides Next Generation. And new stuff that came out, if it sounded good, I would like check it out, but I would instantly flake out. I didn't even see all X-Files or anything like that. Just couldn't handle it. (laughs) You didn't watch that one episode of the X-Files where they went into a video game? No, I remember Home, uh, but I was more excited about Fox on Friday night for Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. (laughs) So <laughs> that's on our list. I, I love that show. How many seasons did that do? One. Just one. And just one season, huh? That was all they needed to do. They packed it all in. No, I think it ended on a cliffhanger, actually. You've been wondering to this day what, what happened. Yeah, some sort of space floating split space orb. And uh, anyway, I always went for high concept. If it was high concept and uh, I had access to it, I was all about it. Um, I was a big fan of Alf and uh, The Charmings, which I really hope you'll do on this show one day because that was bonkers. And uh, Dinosaur, who, which ties into our uh, movie today as well. But, um, you know, I would say very middle of the road, basic sort of interest. Cool. Well, I'm, I mean, if we've got anything this week, it's a middle of the road sci-fi interest. That would be a wholehearted agreement. Because this week we are watching the TV movie slash failed pilot, Earthbound. It uh, it was intended as a TV pilot that never no network picked it up or wanted it. So eventually it never aired. It became out as a theatrical film on January 30th, 1981, which I think that has to be maybe not a first because I think maybe Baffled did something similar. But like, that's right. How yeah. often? What when? What period of time was it where you could just make a TV pilot and be like, ah, whatever, it can go into movie theaters. <laughs> I would research how many movie theaters it actually went to. I would research how disappointed everyone's face looked when they came out of the movies. <laughs> I would be surprised if many people came out of that movie theater. I, you think they went in and never came back out? No, I just can't imagine. <laughs> they got lost into Burl Ives' Ives. Oh, 
naturally. I just don't see much, this getting a lot of a strong marketing push from whoever put it out. I uh, I saw it on a double billed uh, drive-in movie poster. It was it was the movie after Thunderbird 2014. What's that? I have no idea, but it sounded great. Thunderbirds, like go go Thunderbirds, like the car. Um, oh, the car, not the puppets. Yeah, I was thinking puppets. <laughs> no, like the muscle car. Well, I guess we know a lot about the both of you now. <laughs> Less muscle cars and more puppets. <laughs> um, well, Jordan, uh, there's a, you know, it came out for on the 30th, so there's not a lot of history around this show, but there was one notable piece of trivia around this. Uh, it was who was born the day after this came out in movie theaters. And what's the date that this came out? January 30th, 1981. Was it Jordan? No, no, it wasn't me. Yeah, he's a lot older than that. No, no, I'm younger than that. But what, uh, what, uh, no, what, what happened that day? You don't want to guess who was born that day? Oh, well, let me guess then. Honey herself, Jessica Alba. Oh, you are so close. Oh, my God. Justin Timberlake. Oh, is that close? I mean, they're basically the same. He wasn't even in Honey. I know. <laughs> Didn't they date? I don't know. No, that's married to Jessica Biel. Oh, either way, it was Justin Timberlake. How about that? You're very excited. <laughs> not my, not my favorite InSync person. Well, that gets us into the show. Here is the IMDb summary for Earthbound: A family of space aliens crash lands on Earth when their spaceship conks out. That was courtesy of Jim Beaver. Well, I think Jim's got it. That's that's pretty much all you need to know. If anything, he probably painted the picture a little too vividly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, after we open up on a montage of nature photography, we get to meet Grandpa Anderson and his grandson, Tommy, standing at the grave of Tommy's parents. If I'm not mistaken, the first line of the movie is little Tommy is telling his grandpa about the dream he had. Like, I have a dream, Grandpa, and it's about white horses in the hotel. And... I was waiting for that to pay off later, and it never did. I thought the same thing. I sh- I was sure it was going to be a thing. Like at the very end of the movie, there was going to be white horses that were they were going to race on and like like save the day. But no, it was just like him telling us. It was like this Blade Runner thing of just like telling us a dream. I was like, that's weird. Yeah, this movie was a lot like Blade Runner. I agree. <laughs> Essentially, Billy or Billy Tommy Tommy's parents were killed a year earlier in a car accident. And they've kind of come here on that year to sort of, you know, say, visit their grave. I don't know if this meant anything to you. I didn't notice it at first. I was watching it with Melanie at home. And she pointed something out on the gravestone that she could not figure out what it said because of the hyphen in the in the inscription above the father's name. What did it say? She said, what does beloved son-loving father mean? with beloved son slash loving father yeah but the hyphen made it look like son loving and now i can't (laughs) stop thinking of everyone like jordan you little son lover (laughs) yeah that's funny um grandpa anderson is a wealthy hotel owner you'd say he's wealthy right we dress like a pimp sometimes so i think so I didn't even understand that until it was uh, a couple scenes into the hotel. I was like, why does he keep talking about hotels and stuff? Because I didn't understand that he owned it because he lives like, what do they say? At one part, I think they said three hours away. He lives away from where he works. I was like, I don't understand this business at all. I was surprised about 
the actual establishment he ran and owned because I was expecting him to be like a motel runner or maybe an innkeeper, but he had a giant resort. Mm-hmm. When we meet Grandpa, played by Burl Ives, which we've mentioned repeatedly, he is apparently on vacation with his grandson because so he's dressed quite a bit down and he keeps referring to a hotel, but I also thought motel as well. But when he starts talking about it, he's just like, we got to watch out for that real estate developer, Madden, who's coming for the hotel. And I've got my shareholders coming in to talk about the shares in the hotel. And I was like, what is this hotel? But when we finally see it, it's beautiful. I, I, I just like to correct you. Those were stockholders, not I'm shareholders. I'm sorry. Not shareholders? <laughs> the banner specifically said stockholders. Um, I think what we're supposed to think is this is a vacation he's taking with Tommy because they've gone out to his cabin in the woods in his giant RV. So this man just has, like, imagine driving in an RV to get to your cabin. This man has too much money. You got that. So good for you. I actually thought that's where he lived usually. Because he just, I think it's just because he looked like an old bearded old man. So I assumed he lived in the cabin. And then when he needed to come into town, he put on his little, uh, what do you call that? That little bolo tie and (laughs) go on in, you know? All white suit, all white linen suit. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Yeah, the Colonel Sanders look. Was Colonel Sanders looking? I gotta tell you, I when uh, Jordan, you sent those options, I just left when I saw the name Burl Ives. Like I'm, I'm, I love Burl Ives, and uh, I'm a little disappointed that I didn't do more research and than beyond that because I was really blinded by the Burl of it all. <laughs> And, and let me just say this this movie the the utilization of Burl Ives really is reaction shots. I don't know what the, the director was just like. We'll just keep cutting to him being like, huh, what, what, and that's that's really what he's in for. I, I I'm going to disagree with you. I thought he was used as good as he could have been. I think that he had a lot of I don't know charisma in the role. It was a lot of reaction, but but I think he really drove this future. Luke, you're the tiebreaker on this. Was he just reactions or was he he was Mr. Charisma? I agree with Travis. He was amazing. I couldn't stop watching how he was two feet taller than every other actor. Like, don't <laughs> get me wrong, Jordan. Like, his reaction shots were very beautiful. Like, they were very noticeable. They really featured them. And, uh, you know, well done. You don't, you don't hire Burl Ives and don't get his, like, eye pop or something amazing. <laughs> like... But uh, I think but, you yeah. had the sentence right at the first part where you just say you don't hire Burl Ives. <laughs> an Oscar winner. What did he win an Oscar for? He was best supporting actor in Frosty the Snowman. No, I forget the name of it, but he was some movie. Hmm. Look it up. I would nominate the kid Tommy as best reaction shots of this movie. Every time they showed his face, his dead motionless face in close-up as if he was supposed to be reacting to something for 30 seconds at a time i could not stop laughing just interjecting burl ives won the academy award for best supporting actor in the 1959 movie the big country yes that's the one the poster's orange (laughs) at any rate well this is uh well they're at uh sort of this gravesite we smash cut to 600 miles away uh, the Air Force has been tracking a UFO is that that has entered Earth's orbit four days ago, and uh, all the all the men in this sort of tracking facility are shouting a lot of coordinates at us. There's a lot of numbers floating around, heat variables. I was just like, why are all these numbers coming at me? Anyways, Conrad, who's going to be our big bad guy in this, who always wears a hat and glasses to make sure he looks evil. 
I noticed that as well, except I didn't think he looked evil so much as like Ray Fiennes in Avengers. <laughs> like he just was like, a, he showed up dapper. And uh, the scuttlebutt was he specialized in UFOs. He's our man, man in black. And uh, he works for, quote unquote, the agency in Washington. I, I assume the CIA. That was con- confusing. I mean, they showed the White House and then some guy named Dave talking at him. <laughs> I actually looked that up and he's only credited as Dave. So he's not the president or they don't give him any title. It's just Dave. An uncredited Stacey Keach. No, it wasn't <laughs> Stacey Keach. No. Good call, though. What I did like, though, is the man from Washington, Dave, who calls in. He calls in to basically say, you're on thin ice after all these wild alien chases you've been sending us on. So your, your department's on the verge of being shut down if you don't get this one right. And I realized this guy is just Mulder from the X-Files. I want to see the movie about Conrad's what like what drove Conrad to the point where he's nearly going to lose his job. I think you should just take this movie and cut David Duchovny from the X-Files into it and when he's chasing around aliens, it would work fine. It would be the same movie. Except it's done from the perspective of the people who are trying to keep the aliens from them. Yeah, that's what we we finally see what was really going on on the other side mm. of the X-Files. It was just this it was Burl Ives and his wacky son or his grandson. <laughs> so this is the truth that was out there. This is it. Girl eyes and Tommy got it. At any rate, this UFO is losing power and seems to be on a uh, landing course toward a place in California. The uh, I, what I enjoyed about this is they they cut to the monitor and the Air Force lounge, and it's just like enhance, enhance, and just keeps pushing into America until it finally ends up in Gold Rush, California, where Tommy and Grandpa happen to be attending the Founders Day celebration. Mm-hmm. How'd you like that Founders Day celebration? Lots of fireworks, carnival rides, cotton candy. Looked like a good time. The best part is we get to meet uh, uh, Sweeney. He's real, he's real Comet Gold. All right. When I saw the credits going and I saw Stuart Pankin's name in it, I knew I was in for a good time because that guy delivers always. What we're discussing here is in this town, there is a sheriff, uh, Sheriff Dorita and his deputy Sweeney, who, how would you describe Sweeney? He's a little bit overweight. He may be a little bit dumb. I think the first scene of him is a, fo- uh, a phone going off, and he doesn't answer the phone because he's eating a chocolate bar. <laughs> the phone is ringing. You see his hand extend towards it, but instead of picking up the phone, he picks up a chocolate bar and lets the phone ring off the hook while he's reading his comic book or uh, sci-fi magazine. Yeah, he seems to be reading a War of the Worlds comic. Yeah, I would say that the filmmakers probably wanted him just to come across as fat. Because this was also back in the day where you didn't have to be as fat to be fat, if that, if you know what I mean. Like, you take Stuart Pankin and bring him into this day and age, and he's probably, like, relatively normal. He's not, like, TLC fat or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I knew right off the bat what kind of character he was. Up to no good shenanigans now travis you alluded to this earlier but uh what what else is this guy in Stuart pankin okay so i've got this like pretty in-depth experience with b to c level celebrities in the uh the 80s because i used to watch hollywood squares with john davidson all the time (laughs) and i guarantee you i've seen Stuart pankin on that show multiple times and Stuart pankin I think he's, his most prolific role anyway, his most noticeable 
role to date is the voice of Earl in Dinosaurs. I saw that as IMDb and I was also like, whoa, it's the guy from Dinosaurs. I actually didn't even know. For some reason, I know Stuart Pankin without his most important famous role. <laughs> I don't know. I also thought for a minute he might have been on Law and Order, but I was thinking. Did he else. have a square he was often in? Like he wasn't the center square. No, he was obviously not the center square, Jordan. <laughs> he was like top right. <laughs> So that phone call that was coming into De- Deputy Sweeney, he finally does pick it up and finds out from the Air Force that there is an impending UFO invasion. He steals the sheriff's car to drive to the parade. And did you guys notice there seemed to be a monolith on top of the sheriff's car for some reason? That was an outhouse, Luke. So there was a cut scene where he drove through an outhouse then. So it was like a parade. And I think they put the outhouse on top of his car to be part of the parade as sort of a prank, maybe? Yeah, the sheriff seems shocked to no, see No, no, no. What I think it is is uh, I went to one of these small-town parades uh, years ago where my parents live, and if you ever go to one of these these parades, I'm assuming a lot of small towns are the same, they don't have a lot of floats, so what you get is a lot of, like, just a police car going by with, like, you know, like, with a, a ribbon on it. And, like, I remember specifically being at one and it was just the garbage truck just went by. And there was, there was nothing on it. So I'm assuming in this town, they, they just put an outhouse on top of the cop car. They're like, done. All right, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, I got that impression, too. I don't think there was an exciting scene where they crashed through an outhouse. That's too bad. Because I, what I thought had happened, because Deputy Sweeney left the police station, and then he heads to the air raid siren to set it off to warn everyone about the UFO coming. Uh, because as he says, he's not allowed to have any bullets. Yeah, this guy's a mess. I'm not. I'm just wondering what kind of talent pool they're they're drawing from in the law enforcement in Bull Rush because Sweeney is not a top man. Who did he kill? Do you think <laughs> they got his bullets taken away? I just don't think he was trusted. But the po- the point is is that he gets everyone up in a tizzy because he starts going on about flying saucer. And I thought it was gonna be a thing where like he doesn't tell a lot of people, but he like just tells everybody. He immediately like come in close, everybody. I'll tell you the top secret information. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't know who calls the small town sheriff and just talks about this top secret information to the first idiot who picks up the phone. I mean, and he's lucky he ran out of chocolate bar and nobody <laughs> would have gotten through. He thought it was a chocolate bar company calling with more chocolate bar. <laughs> and uh, the sheriff shows up, gets the information and kind of orders Sweeney to shut off that blaring siren, which he somehow is also broken in the time it took him to turn it on. So Sweeney has to find a way of shutting off the siren while the, while the sheriff fires his gun in the air and gets the cu- crowd to calm down a little. Did you enjoy how he ended up? He's real comic relief how he shuts down this siren. First, he starts with some, he's first chopping it. That's his first goal. And then it doesn't work. And then he brings it a chainsaw. So the comedy level is being raised. And then he chops it down and it, uh, or chainsaws it down. I don't know what the expression would be. And then it falls on top of the sheriff's car. Can you believe of all the places? Right where he was standing to make his big announcement to the crowd. I mean, we're also forgetting that in the midst of this, uh, Sweeney's getting everybody riled up, telling them that uh, New York and Chicago were destroyed for no reason whatsoever, except he just happened to be reading War of the Worlds. And I just think of that one, uh, there was one actress, she was like worried about her sister in Chicago. And like, this poor woman thinks her family's dead. (laughs) There's no need for it. And it's- That's classic Sweeney though. It's just like defund the police. Please. Absolutely. <laughs> That's all I guess. If there's no better example, it's this movie. 
Well, there's also a very uncomfortable line of dialogue, I think, coming up. And I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead. No, go for it. It's just like when they go searching for like the aliens, the sheriff stops and talks to uh, stops grandpa and Tommy to get them to hold back for some reason or another. And he's like, shoot first and ask questions after. And it just was very uncomfortable. Sure. I, I, that is that is the case. And Jordan, I've been watching a few of these shows recently and it's like, oh, yeah, cops on TV are bad cops. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of these things have not aged particularly well. So we do get a quick shot, though, of the alien spacecraft flying over the crowd. Unfortunately for the quality of this YouTube video we saw, it's hard to make it out, but we will see it a little bit more later. And it is kind of just like that classic aluminum UFO with a little dome on top. I literally didn't see anything but lights. And I actually thought that it was pretty well done considering. But that was maybe because I couldn't see anything. It was the the Jaws effect. Yeah. But as you said, they all go off in a posse to kind of track down the aliens. The sheriff's like, we got to defend our city. Let's all grab our guns. Let's all go out there. Let's find these aliens. Much like that episode of Nightmare Cafe Jordan and I watched. Hmm. That's, it actually felt a lot like it. Um, and as they're wandering in the woods, they tell, as you said, Grandpa and Tommy, just like, you're a kid. You're very old. Why don't you just wait on this bridge for a bit? I've got donuts and coffee coming. You just meet them here. If I was in that party... I would have been pushing hard to be that person to wait behind. Everyone's going through, going through like poison ivy and ticks and stuff. I'd be like, hold on, I can wait here with the donuts. Yay, I'll see you guys later. I can confirm that you would be down with that. And also there was this really weird part where they were, they're all on edge, okay? Like they're just, Sweeney got them whirled up into a tizzy and they nearly murdered this poor raccoon who wasn't even in a garbage can. He was just innocent. (laughs) Thankfully, the raccoon got away, but I mean... It was close, I agree. Just to, just to set the tone, I guess, of, uh, of... The intensity. So, of course, if you're going to leave Grandpa and Tommy by themselves on a bridge, they're going to hear a noise. They're going to go out there. They're going to see what that noise is. And we finally get to meet the aliens on that alien spacecraft. Describe these aliens to me. Um, they were people. <laughs> I... I felt the same way when I saw them. I'm like, those are just people. I hate this movie. Okay, I got to say right off the bat, too. Right off the top, this movie is not terrible. Like, it was actually surprisingly not the worst thing I've ever seen. And I can imagine in 1981 watching it and really liking it and, uh, you know, being disappointed there wasn't further adventures to follow. But um, the second that little dark-haired kid just reared his head, and he also looks exactly like Tommy. So I was, I for a minute thought there was like some sort of <laughs> like invasion of the body snatchers thing happening. I just was like, ugh. I was just like, let the, all the air left. Luke and I mentioned that to each other, I think earlier in the week that you can't tell the difference between Tommy and sorry, what the boy's name is Dalem. Can I mention all the people's names? So everyone knows what these names are of these family. Yeah. Well, let's go, let's go through the names. Let's go through the whole family. Let's start with the dad or let's start with Dalem. We Dalem is the Dalem. son. Let's talk about the yes. son Dalem. Yeah. Dalem's the son. He has a sister. What? Teva. Well, what's, what's Dalem's deal? He loves bugs. <laughs> that is absolutely what I have written down as well. It's really hard to pinpoint down what all these people can do. Like their special powers. But yeah, he he likes bugs and he um, he's into animals. Perfect. Yeah. And then there's Space Father Zeph. Yeah. 
Did you? Uh, he's got a great face. No, he doesn't. He's a creep. <laughs> this guy creeped me out throughout the entire movie. I love looking at his face. He has such a weird face. I will agree with Travis. There's a couple scenes. We were talking about a couple scenes with the police officers that have not aged well. There's a couple scenes in this that it's hard not to look at this and think there's maybe some inappropriate stuff happening. And obviously that's not what they've intended, but there's weird scenes of like adult men and young boys in like weird personal situations. Did you know, Jordan, that we've seen that actor before? Have we really? He was in an episode of Beyond Westworld. Was he really? Who was he in Beyond Westworld? He was in the episode where they had to take, you know, it was that family who owned the oil company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had to like stop that. He was one of the brothers in that, I think. How about that? I didn't. I would didn't recognize him. I looked up his IMDb page, and he was in a ton of stuff. And I think at least three or four of these actors were in Chips at one point. <laughs> what a claim to fame! But he didn't do a lot afterwards, or before, <laughs> or during. Actually, now that I think about it. And then we have the alien mother, Lara. Lara. Of all the aliens, I feel like she gets the worst role and screen time on it. Like, she has nothing to do in this movie. I would agree. My note was she basically has one scene almost to herself. And that's it. Like, I was just like, you. they really were saving you yeah. for future episodes. That's literally all she did. She had nothing to add except remind poor Tommy of his dead mother. <laughs> we got uh, uh, Teva. Have we talked to Teva? Teva? How do you pronounce her name? The, the daughter's name. I believe Teva. Teva, that's what it was. The uh, teenage space daughter. She is so horny. (laughs) (laughs) She loves boys. Yeah, her whole thing. She loves teenage boys. Good thing they're the same on Earth as they are on her planet. (laughs) So they're essentially a family of researchers. They travel the universe, going to other worlds, studying them. um, And they got stuck here because they hit a cosmic storm, which has damaged their ship, um, causing it to lose power. And now they have a very short window of time, I believe 60 hours to uh, get their ship up and running because they travel through, quote, windows across the galaxy to like get where they're going. And the window home is closing. Um, I guess those are kind of like wormholes, maybe? Space windows. That's what I thought, yeah. Space windows. Just open that space window up. SWs. And of course, on their journeys, they happen to find an orphaned pet that they've brought with them to Earth, who, after we meet the family, they're walking through the forest, and this orphaned pet appears in a tree. Jin, 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 Just as Jin, disappointed Jin. as I was when I saw those plain-looking white people come out of the bushes as our aliens, the exact opposite, I was so excited when Jin Jin appeared. I, even just, like, the daughters, like, Jin Jin, we thought we lost you. It was just the perfect introductory line to this beautiful creature. Well, what does Jin Jin look like, Travis? He is a monkey. <laughs> no, not only is that, he's more than that. He's also apparently green, but I couldn't tell on the YouTube video. I thought he was just a dark monkey, and I guess he had a mullet. I didn't notice the mullet. Loop. Oh, it was there. They had given him extensions in the back of his head. No doubt about it. I just didn't pick it up. I was so excited about having a monkey. I think he's a chimp, to be fair. Fine. <laughs> but yes... Uh, you can see a little better in later scenes. The quality of this this wasn't great, but later scenes, you can kind of start making up that they've dyed this poor chimpanzee green, which is crazy. Not only dyed him green, uh, they they also look like they've painted his face green. It looks like they've dipped him in green paint. I think at some point, someone will make a joke when someone sees him and be like, oh, that's just my pet monkey that got dyed green. That's how much it looks like a monkey. No one even on Earth can tell it's an alien. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> he was a green monkey. There was something very obviously wrong with him. Like, even though I couldn't tell he was painted green at first, I thought it was just a space monkey in a suit. Sorry, space chimp uh, in a little suit. But there was something wrong with his face. I thought it might have been, um, I thought it might have been a chimp, but with like a chimp mask on him. <laughs> That'd be amazing. And then he rips it off. But you made an interesting point. All of them, the the chimpanzee, monkey, Jinjin, and all of the family are all wearing the same coverall spacesuit, which I enjoyed. Nice blue jumpsuit. Powder blue. I couldn't have been more disappointed with those aliens' jumpsuits. And they didn't even have, like, their belts were different, or at least the dad's belt was different. His kind of looked like a WWE championship belt. (laughs) Uh, Travis? Yeah. What was Jinjin's favorite food? Oh, light bulbs. <laughs> that was a real turn when they were like, Jinjin ate all the light bulbs. I'm like, pardon me? <laughs> <laughs> that chimp chimp is uh, amazing. What I like, though, is that the dream about wild horses will not play later on, but the light bulbs definitely do. So you mentioned earlier, Travis, or you've implied it anyway, that this family does have some alien powers. I think the best way they described it is they're, they're kind of like empaths. Like Deanna Troy from TNG? Yeah, they can't read minds, but they can sense feelings and things. Yeah, I definitely felt some Deanna Troy, uh, at least from the mom. I think they all had different things, and or at least different specialities, even if they all could do something similar. Oh, my God. If you go back and watch the scene when they first come out of the bush, the dad is visibly angry at that kid, Dalem. Like every time he opens his mouth, he looks <laughs> it's really weird. Um, but like, because the kids just like Teva does that better or something like that. And don't get me wrong, the kid may very well need to get thrown against the wall, but like the dad is meeting an earthling for the first time. He should, I don't know, be a little more diplomatic. And I think there's a lot of problems there we didn't see behind. <laughs> <laughs> so their empathy or their empathicness seems to lay, they can, they can sense other people's feelings. They seem to have the ability to inception a person. Like they can take a thought in their mind and force them to do it. They also can somehow affect objects around them. Like we see very, very quickly, they sort of uh, screw around, the dad screws around with a car. He makes the window wipers go and the lights go and then eventually makes it drive too. Uh, the powers are kind of a little bit, all over the place. Um, I think I can break it down. So the father, um, sorry, what's his name? Zim? Zeph. Okay, so Zeph can manipulate physical things. That's why he can get the car to like, the lights go and the hood jump up. And then the mom is the empath and the son talks to animals, I guess. And then the daughter is better at planting uh, ideas in people's heads, like at the end when she gets that guy to tell the truth. Yeah, I think they seem to all have the same abilities, but just various strengths on those abilities. Because, like, telekinesis, uh, the daughter does a great job of telekinesis at some point. Like, So they, they seem to all have varying moments where they can do these things. And, uh, like, when that Jeep pulls up and he's able to do all those things to it. You didn't mention that he makes the Jeep pop a wheelie. <laughs> now, at this point in the movie, they've met Grandpa. They've gone to Grandpa's cabin. They've escaped, and they're kind of, like, talking about, hey, let's go take you into the city. Let's try to find that mineral you're looking for to fix your ship. At this point, we're probably, what, 20 minutes in, 30 minutes in? 
Mm -hmm. Were you wondering how they learned English or were you like, didn't care? I wasn't because I knew exactly how they learned English because they said how they learned English from Earth's radio and video transmissions. I guess that's what I was wondering is they dropped that very late into this where they've been speaking English. And I'm just like, I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't know if I need to know how you learn to speak English. As I mentioned at the very at the top of this podcast, occasionally the dad will say the wrong word. Like, I, I love that idea that you have, you're 99.9% fluent and you can say everything in all sort of mannerisms and turns of phrase. But then he gets just words different. They're not even like homonyms. It's just like words that might have the same letter at the beginning of the word. and He mixes them up. Like I said, he said, instead of honored, he said horrid sort of thing. Stop showing up and using words like homonym. Sorry. I liked when Dallum saw an elk and was like, check out that insurance salesman. I didn't get that at all. I was so confused. Yeah, well, that's that was like one of those things where like, you know, they were going for like the, the back of the audience. Like they're looking for real belly aches. But like, I don't know what the joke is there. Like there's there's no one would confuse those two. Maybe at the time there was an insurance company with a really famous elk logo or something like that. I think it was the joke was just saying insurance salesman is funny and then pointing at the wrong thing is even funnier. I'm looking for too much stuff. Yeah. Did you like we got one piece of the alien language, though? We did. When uh, the brother and sister are fighting, the sister calls him something he's just like he treats like a slur. Yes, I do remember that. I believe it was Golgothrot. Something like that. It was rude. <laughs> he was a sun-loving Golgothrot. <laughs> Can you say that on the podcast? Is that allowed? Well, we're going to get censored. The uh, censor board's going to come down on us. Um, I thought it was strange that that girl uh, was sleeping in the same room with them. I thought it was strange that those boys were just got along so well. There was like no weirdness. Travis, they're fast friends. The two boys look the same. They both like bugs. They both like basketball. I'm assuming transistor radios. <laughs> yeah, you're right. When you're right, you're right. Look. I did think it was bold of the grandpa to be like, uh, Tommy, you're sharing a bed with that alien boy tonight. Good luck. <laughs> well, well, I mean, look, he's taking these people in. He doesn't have a lot of space. Yeah, sure, he's a, a independently wealthy uh, hotel owner, but he's only got two rooms. There's room for him. We, I, I'll, I'll, let me point out, we never see where the parents are sleeping. I'm assuming on either side of our lives. <laughs> I would have packed them in that RV, but it didn't get introduced until afterwards. Well, that's a good point. They climb into the RV in the next morning. They change into street clothes, leave those blue jumpsuits behind. Hanging perfectly in the closet. <laughs> Perfect, yeah, perfectly for later. And they uh, they drive into town. It's a three-hour drive. They, of course, get stopped by a little army roadblock on the way because our, our different Conrad, the men in black, is looking for them. But they have one less power that'll help them get past this roadblock that they didn't mention earlier. Yeah, if they hold their breath and touch each other i think it's not specifically hold hands they can all go invisible it's very impressive and useful i mean it gets used a lot unless you're in an odd number um at any rate this is a very this is a very quick scene where they get away and we get a new power but before long they're returning to the hotel i thought it looked like the overlook a lot you gotta stop right there because we're not spending enough time on this rv scene which was completely crazy to me because after they get pulled over and they want, there's the whole like fake out where the sheriff's like, I know Ned Anderson slash Pearl lives go on through the blockade. And then Conrad is like, nobody does that. And then, you know, whoa, they're going to come on the RV. The family holds hands and holds their breath and are invisible. So Conrad comes on, but looks around, doesn't see anything. 
He sees a fucking green monkey just like walking around. And their excuse to get out of that was Tommy pipes up. Oh, that's my pet monkey. I spilt green paint on him. And then Conrad's like, yeah, that tracks. And then he, I was like, I would have been, I don't know if like, if monkeys were just so, such common house pets in the 1980 that it was normal, but like, I would have, it just didn't track. It was weird. Travis, Conrad is just like you. He saw that monkey and he was just like, that's not an alien. I, that's, it's like when you saw those people, he's just like, aliens would look weird. I just think anyone traveling with a monkey would have at least required, you know, a short interview in a second sight. That's all. Let's see your monkey permit. Yeah. Conrad does get a great line in a couple scenes later, though, where he, he right to camera goes, yeah, that makes about as much sense as a green monkey. <laughs> I wrote that same line down because it was one of my favorites. All right, Travis, are you done with this uh, trip on the RV? You want to get to this hotel? Yeah, get to the hotel. (laughs) Uh, Back at the hotel, they're back. Grandpa's got bigger things to worry about than aliens now because his managers quit. The land developer villain Madden has offered him a job in Hawaii, and he's gunning. He's gunning for this shareholders meeting. So Grandpa's just like, alien family? I don't know. Go to the university. Maybe they can help you. You're on your own from here on out. To be fair, he's already he's already let them sleep in the same bed he sleeps in. So he's already gone out of his way. Um, but yeah, he kind of like sends Tommy off with the dad and the son to go check out the university library, see if they can scope out this uh, mysterious mineral they need to fix their ship. And um, it's very strange because they're like, we'll go to the university mom you stay here at the hotel with the monkey and have no scenes at all we're not even going to talk to you again (laughs) and then uh the daughter teva is just like and we're going to hook you up with another teenage girl who happens to be at the hotel you're going to go to the pool you're going to check out teenage boys it's going to be a great afternoon and they're both horny af yeah there wasn't enough scenes with the teenage daughter or the mom for sure but I would have liked to seen the mom gone down to the pool and just check it out too. Because if you're telling me Zeph's pleasing her at home, I don't think so. <laughs> there, there's a good scene before they all break up though, where Zeph breaks that fruit bowl, or no, Jinjin breaks that foot uh, that fruit bowl. Yeah. Do you remember that scene before they? Before I remember they that scene because I wrote down Jinjin's kind of an asshole. Like literally, all he did was like go over and knock that thing off. If my dog do that, I would beat him with a shovel. Yeah, so <laughs> that's terrible, but and not true. But uh, Jinjin knocks over a fruit bowl. But the whole point is just to have Teva to show her ability to telepathically put the fruit back. And then we get a scene where the brother makes fun of her and she makes a banana spin around his head and then go right into his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, banana in the mouth with the eyes crossed, comedy gold. You know that he got hired for that? They're like, all right, you've done everything pretty well, kid, but let's see your eye cross. We, you know, you expect a certain amount of, um, you know, dated looks to science fiction, the older it gets. And, but I would say that this one held up pretty well considering it was for TV and it was in 1980. The only thing that really drove me crazy was the sound effect whenever anybody was doing their alien magic. And it was just so cheesy and it could have been less cheesy, I guess. Fair enough. Well, let's, let's follow Space Dad Zeph, Space Son Dalum, and Tommy as they head to the university via the football practice field at the university. There's a bit of talk about Tommy's tragically killed parents, and Zeph is really trying to, like, 
Zeph feels for him because he's an empath, and he's ta- he starts telling Tommy about how his own father died in a space shuttle accident when he was around his age, and it really does seem like Zeph's like, I'm about to adopt this kid. I love how um how much of a stoic though Tommy is. He has this scene, he's like, yeah, so my parents died. Big deal. People die. Move on. That's life. Tommy, you've been hardened. What are the things you've seen? That's a big subplot here, because cause, uh, the kid, Dallum's just like, but dad, my empathy tells me he feels very sad, but he doesn't say it. And his dad's just like, you don't understand. I'm not dead. <laughs> but as they're going through this football field, Dallum picks up a shot put he finds in the middle of the practice field where all the, where all the football men are playing. Football. I got to say, I love the shot putting like B story in this film. It carries all the way through to the end and does not disappoint. But this whole scene is just your classic scene that we've seen in a lot of from this time period, which is the kid takes the shot put, throws it like, you know, way further than anyone could possibly throw it. And you get like the the groundskeeper who's like, oh, I can't believe what I saw. That's the whole point of the scene. It is uh, very much like a Galactica 1980 we've seen before. But you're right, Travis, there's no way I thought this was going to be a runner for the rest of the movie. But oh man, is it a runner. Pays off. I do like, though, when the groundskeeper sees him throw, like, he sees him throw his drop putt further than any human could. The groundskeeper is just like, oh my God. And he starts running over to talk to them. And the dad's solution is, kids, let's split up and run away. I'll go this way. You're on your own. And right in front of him, too. Like, he, he saw what direction both parties were running towards. It wasn't very evasive. Let me just say, did it work? Did they get caught? So I think the alien Zeph knows what he's doing. (laughs) He knows what he's up to. I do like this leads to a scene where that groundskeeper tries to tell the football coach, he's like, I've solved all our football problems. And then he's just treated like an insane human being. Was he the groundskeeper or was he like on the coaching team? I thought he was like a assistant coach. I thought it could go either way too. I wrote, I wrote groundskeeper slash assistant coach. (laughs) I think gold rush, California is probably a small enough community probably doing double oh they're in the big city now man they got out of gold rush california they drove three hours get to that big city i thought the resort was in gold city gold rush gold gold rush is where they buried the parents Mm. so where is this where does this take place any town (laughs) usa that's the mystery why do they have to drive three hours is utah three hours away from gold rush california you think they went to utah it was shot in utah oh says at the very end of the credits. Yeah, I like that you stuck around to the end of the credits. I don't think it really matters for the purposes of this movie. Exactly. I got I got my map with all of my ratings in it. <laughs> anyway, uh, the two boys, when they run off, they uh, sort of escape into a local park and end up getting bullied into a game of basketball. I loved it. I love that this is another sort of weird trope that we've seen in these in this kind of type of show where... You just know the effects you're going to get. You're going to get those weird jumping effects, weird throwing balls. It's just, it's exactly what you think it's going to look like. This bullying scene was insane to me because this group of kids apparently is from a rival school and they're demanding a rematch with Tommy over a basketball game for the championship that they lost last week and that they lost by 22 points. Yeah, big defeat. I love this scene so much. Uh, one, that little boy in the red bucket hat who kept making chicken noises. His name was Snodgrass. And, uh, <laughs> and also, uh, it was good that he couldn't play. He was keeping score because apparently he bites opposing players. And then I just loved how this team completely sharked Tommy and his friends. 
Well, yeah, they, they get him to bet their bicycles on the game. A game he's already won. Why would he replay? Because they, they, they make chicken noises. He's like Marty McFly. Yeah, yeah he can't say no. <laughs> and then they bring out the Goon Twins, who are eighth grade kids that got flunked down to the sixth grade. How does that even work? Can I say one thing about the Goon Twins? Do they both not look like Mark David Chapman? Is that too yeah. old a reference? No, I think they looked a little probably more sinister. They were there to thug out. They were the secret weapons. And this basketball sequence with them, it's just like there's a whole montage here where those two goon twins, which is the actual name of them in the movie, these like 18-year-olds playing against 12-year-olds, are just pushing them down, just like being so rough with these kids. And as I was watching, I was just like, that looks like so much fun. I would love to just push some kids around. Didn't you think, though, this was good? When they had this whole thing of like, come on, we want to have this rematch and blah, blah. I thought it was going to be like a game of like street basketball or something. But they literally go into a gym and all get all their uniforms and stuff on. And it's like someone's keeping score. There's a, a screen up at the top that's keeping score. And I was like, wow, this is like a they're, they're really I going agree. for it. Uh, I did think it was strange. They did the full gym, full uniform thing. But it was just Snodgrass keeping scores. So. That's true. I did question where they got the keys to the school gym as well. I was like, who let them in? Classic Snodgrass. He knows how to get played. Did you, I, I did also like the quote when the, uh, when the goon twins are introduced. I think Tommy turns around and says, those guys are animals. That was good. They are, though. They are animals. They're pushing over. No, there's no proper uh, uh, referee in this game. Well, it's because Snodgrass is the referee. They let the referee be the opposing team's friend. Yeah. So, but what the, the whole point of the scene is that we get a lot of they're dominating Tommy and his team because there's these two big kids. They're too strong. They're too big. And I can't remember what the score is, but they're way ahead. 20, 30 points or something. It looks hopeless is all I say. Like, I can't think of any possible human way they can get out of this basketball match. Jordan, I have one. His new alien friend with the magic abilities could help him cheat. Why didn't he, they just dress him right from the beginning? They waited to the last 40 seconds of the game. Yeah, 40 seconds of the game. They're down, what, 20 points, something like that? I mean, there was a lot of antics during those 40 seconds. Yeah, they like, become the, the Harlem Globetrotters and literally have the Harlem Globetrotters theme song going. I knew where the scene was going once I heard the, that little jingle. Yeah, we get to see like telekinesis balls flying through the air. Kids get picked up and like they get to dunk balls because they can now fly. All bets are off. It's a real supernatural space jam going on. It's a real comeback from the uh, underdogs. I just liked that it really showed you that in a full series, the kind of antics and could be part of the show. Next episode, they could play football. They could shot putting, basketball. They could have done football. They could have done baseball. They could have done, I don't know, mini goals. Meanwhile, though, while they're playing this basketball game, the dad has talked to the university librarian. That university librarian has sent him to talk to a professor in the mineral sciences building. And that professor has gone home because it is apparently the weekend. So he's just poking around this man's office. He finds a sample of the mineral he needs, but he's interrupted by an armed guard who accuses him of theft. And this guard is real trigger happy, huh? Like every other police officer in this film, shoot first, ask questions after. It's true. The only way he gets out of it is with his telekinesis powers by pulling the fire alarm. All right. Mm hmm. You might say that security guard was all wet. <laughs> <laughs> what I liked is it didn't really do anything. Like, the, just the sprinklers went off, and I guess that guy had to give up to figure out what happened with the sprinklers. <laughs> but uh, old Zeph, the dad, he heads back to the hotel by way of that football field one more time. 
where this time he also sees a shot put. So he throws it real far, which again blows the mind of that elderly groundskeeper. And when he sees the groundskeeper looking very bewildered, the groundskeeper says, I wish you hadn't done that. So he uses his telekinesis to bring the shot put back in reverse footage and yeah, put it down it, on the ground. I, nothing helps you get out of a jam like being twice as conspicuous. <laughs> <laughs> forgot, did you mention the part where that groundskeeper told the coach that all their problems were solved? Because this guy can't catch a break. He's, he's a truth teller. He, he might be the only person who sees everything. It's true. He's the only one in the know. He could save that whole football team, but no one will listen to him. The whole football program could come back. They could win the championship. They could finally win the pennant. <laughs> but back at the hotel, Teva's been documenting teenage life on her dictaphone diary necklace she wears. Yeah, that was introduced really quickly and forgotten. Yeah, that was weird because they never they never went back to it, right? No, not once. I, I mean, again... The groundwork for a phenomenal weekly series is all here. <laughs> it's all here. It's true. She's basically rating the boys around the pool, like who's the hottest, who's the naughtest. And while she's kind of there, she's made this new friend, and they decide they want to get the attention of some Olympic swimmers who are at the pool um, because they would love to get an invite to the disco tonight. Let me stop you right there. This is when I wanted this movie to be like, so much hornier than it was because it was a very mild case of horny like you ever see zapped with scott Bayo? like the 80s were prime for just complete ridiculous nudity and and gratuitous sex and and all this great terrible stuff and this scene is from a different movie like they want to go to a disco every boy in that in that pool is a dreamboat but some are show-offs and others are, are what? Growers. Some are showers. Yeah, some are growers, some are showers. And she needs, she needs the whole deal, the whole package. These Olympic swimmers are the ones. I do like the idea that you, Travis, as producer of this movie, when it fails to become a TV show and you know you're going to put it in theaters, you're going to go out and you're just going to shoot a bunch of nudity just to like, just shove into scenes. Full zapped. Like... Scott Baio made ladies' skirts go up with his mind. These people could have done that. <laughs> That's true. She could have easily just pulled down some shorts. Emma could have easily disintegrated Speedos uh, and, and just had a real sausage party at that pool. But no, we had to keep it PG. <laughs> Boo. I'm just saying, if you're in the 80s and you're going to have mind powers, skirts got to go up. Teva wants to get these boys' attention. She wants to go to this disco. But she and her friend know they're only into athletic girls. So what's she going to do? I mean, really, all she needed to do was, I guess, show her tits to them or something. Travis, that's not what she does. She does a very fancy, very professional dive. It was a little more than professional. It it defied the laws of gravity. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it was so impressive. Part of that whole scene, though, is that after she has a clear plan and she knows what she's doing, she's thinking, and she's going to catch the eyes of these athletic boys. She does her insane, impossible dive and then gets arrested for it. I like that part. <laughs> yes, Conrad, the man in black, is waiting poolside to see this insane dive because. While he's been searching the woods for the aliens, he's come across Grandpa's cottage. And when he rummages through Grandpa's cottage, he finds those powder blue jumpsuits. 
and remembers that green monkey and he's just like we got to get to that hotel mm-hmm. so their cover's blowing all of a sudden the green monkey's suspicious because it's on a blue jumpsuit i would say that a green monkey is more suspicious than a powder blue jumpsuit <laughs> at least in 1981 <laughs> nowadays anything goes yeah <laughs> tev is arrested and brought to a police station where old de- uh, deputy sweeney's fingerprinting her and she's been trained i guess from a young age to remain silent when captured but uh, she still wants to fuck around with deputy sweeney for a bit basically conrad sort of recruits sweeney because he's so soft-minded and loves alien ufo stuff so he's all into it. He's all in. He throws the sheriff under the bus and just goes with Conrad full throttle. And he's into this interrogating the young, nubile, alien teenage girl. Like, you see the smirk on his face. He loves it. And yeah, she's not going to have it. She's going to fuck with him. My favorite part is that Travis uh, describing uh, nubile women and uh, their breasts. He's the horniest guest we've ever had. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just watched this one Sophia Loren movie this week, and it was literally the sexiest thing I'd ever seen. What movie? It was uh, Yesterday, Today, Tomorrow, and she does a strip tease at the end of this movie. It's like three parts, like three separate stories, but she's in all of them. And she does this strip tease that, like, I am a gay man who's married to my husband, and I was watching this thing, and I swear to God, it was arousing. <laughs> I'm Travis, keep bringing it. I love it. I love the energy. Okay. What we're seeing of this scene is that the hilarity that happens is Sweeney tries to fingerprint her. She uses her magical alien abilities to every time he tries fingerprinting her, she makes the fingerprint disappear. Yeah, it was not exciting at all. <laughs> it's true. That's true. But what we know now is that Conrad's onto them. The uh, space family moves out of the hotel and into the hotel's stables where they keep the hotel's horses. The horses in the hotel did prophecy. (laughs) I have to say a couple things. It was weird that they had staples because they clearly wanted them to be staying somewhere. But I was like, why don't you just put them in a hotel room? It was weird. But then the second thing was that I don't know if anyone noticed this point. But you notice that Tommy was very visibly limping. Oh, they come, they come back to that. He must have they hurt himself do. in real life. I don't know if it was just the actor was really given it, but like they mentioned later on that he's injured, but he's limping all through all these scenes. I didn't notice that. I just remember the scene uh, at the end where the father creeps out on his limp. Yeah, I don't remember seeing him limping either until the end. So I'm glad you picked it up because they do say he injured himself in the basketball game, but I didn't notice a limp before. Yeah, that. when he's bringing them food to the uh, staples, he's limping all weird. Now, we don't have to get into this, but like, as you mentioned with Tommy carrying that food, Jordan, there is a weird gag they do here that goes on for a very long time where Tommy's followed by some FBI agents. Travis sort of mentioned it before that, you know, half joking that they've got all the elements here for uh, later series, you know, hinting at little things. But one thing that's a little odd in this show is they sort of play with so many different elements and not necessarily in the most cohesive way, but like for a good two minutes, it's like a chase thing of like these guys trying to chase Tommy. And it's like, he goes into one room and they go into another room and he fools them and they go down a shoot that he goes that way. And it was like, okay, that was a weird little sequence, but sure. Why not? It really made me like Tommy. He was, he was, he was he's streetwise. Really he's a streetwise kid. I mean, you're, you don't have both your parents die one year ago to the day and not have a little street smarts. He's a little bit like the kid in Dick Tracy. Am I right, Travis? He totally wanted people to go suck on an egg. <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to say it. I knew it. <laughs> at any rate, uh, 
getting back to Teva in the jail, Zeph decides he needs to do something about this. So he essentially calls the police station and offers Conrad, the men in black, a deal. He'll give him proof of alien life in exchange for his daughter. If I'm not mistaken, does he not have proof of life of alien life with the, having the daughter in his custody? Theoretically, yes, but I guess he's playing on his hope this man won't hold his daughter hostage in exchange for something else. I'm just saying Zeph's a creep and also stupid. <laughs> well, Zeph's really, he's worried about this because he informs us in this scene that humans have a special ability that no other species in the galaxy has. The ability to commit violence against another living being. Did he say, though, it's humans the only species that are able to in do that? In the galaxy. I don't hmm. think that's what they said. No, I think the implication was that they, humans are one of them. Because I also suspect that future episodes would have had something about bad aliens. Fair enough. Well, I would say also that clearly there are other species on Earth capable of violence. So it, it falls apart pretty quickly. I don't think there'd be other episodes with aliens in it. I think there'd be other episodes with different sports being played in a hilarious alien style. <laughs> Badminton? Can you believe what they're doing? At any rate, the next morning, Zeph and Conrad go to meet for this exchange in the university football stadium. He's got a little black box he's carrying. This is what he's going to exchange for Teva. Um, but of course, there's a double cross going on. Conrad's got a tiny little button he pushes, and the police and the military spring into action and surround them in this football stadium. But of course, it's just in time for a wacky escape sequence. And this doesn't this go on way longer than you thought it would? It could have left. Instead, they were too busy fucking with the police and uh, oh, I'm over here. No, now I'm over here. Um, just leave. Like, you're in danger. Take your child and leave. Yes, essentially they hold their breath again so they can disappear. Something that Conrad doesn't know they can do. And yeah, you're right. They get cocky. They start appearing on like light stands and being like, we're over here. No, we're over here. And they get chased onto the roof of the stadium somehow. And when it seems like they're cornered, they just jump off because as we've seen with the shot put, the gravity on Earth is different. So they are lighter. They're more powerful. Why would the gravity on Earth being different affect the shot put that's from Earth? <laughs> His muscles are so strong Travis, in this gravity. I don't think you understand. The gravity's different. <laughs> that's my line for everything. I get out of so many jams with that line. <laughs> but now you guys it is finally time for that shareholders meeting <laughs> i know this the stakes have never been higher i was blown away by the shareholders meeting because it's an open air shareholders meeting it was more like a a nice brunch guys let me ask you though who was your favorite person at the shareholders meeting it was the sheik right <laughs> I, I didn't even think the sheik is the sheik actually have any stocks in the company because i thought he was trying to get the company with the help of madden yes the evil madden has been uh, he's trying to get the he's trying to get the hotel to build condominiums on top of it as we're told and he's brought the sheik because the sheik's gonna bankroll the whole thing so they're there to kind of take the company from grandpa and to do that they have sort of handed out fake financial reports that show that the hotel is losing money 
And Grandpa is unable to refute these claims because somehow Madden broke into his accounting room and threw all his papers on the floor. I love that it was going to take them a week to clean that up. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. You don't even have to order new computers. Like, they look pretty intact. It looked like it would take a couple hours tops. With your alien friends, 10 minutes. Grandpa's pretty upset because it looks like he's lost the day. But, of course, Tef and Teva show up at that moment. And that is when Willie the Bellhop appears to warn them that Madden is giving a speech at a shareholders meeting he is not a shareholder nor an owner in and that Grandpa has to do something. But my favorite part of Willie the Bellhop here is Grandpa immediately devises a plan. He's like, maybe I can use these aliens to my advantage. And he turns to Willie and he says, Willie, I need you to trust me. And Willie, who's arguably 40 to 50 years younger than Grandpa, says, Of course, yes, sir. You're the best friend I've had in my entire life. <laughs> I just like this. I really wanted to this go to Sirius so I could see more of Willie, the 20-year-old bellhop, whose best friend is Grandpa. Well, if you'll notice, Willie was going to be an integral part of the series because during the end credits, Willie is part of the portrait of the cast. Oh, I see. I, I felt that way. I felt Willie had a lot more to give me. Got a lot to give you, Luke. We Thank wanted you. to give it to you. <laughs> Horniest episode ever. I wasn't saying that. <laughs> but yes, it's time for Space Dad, Zeph, and Teva to save the day. Um, as they come out, Madden's giving this big speech about, ah, this hotel's trash. Just give it to me. I'll, I'll make it into a moneymaker. So they know they need to inception his mind in order to get him to, I guess, spill the beans. So the dad starts distracting him by telekinesising his water. So his water starts moving back and forth on the podium he's talking at. Yeah, it's like this. We're, we're witnessing a visual gag on Zoom. No one can see that. <laughs> it's going, it's still going. Travis is making a lot of face acting right now. <laughs> just like that. Just, just like that. Listener, it was just like that. But apparently him moving this water glass distracts him enough for Teva to plant an idea in his mind to tell the truth. So as he's giving this speech, he starts talking about, like, apropos of nothing, he's like, and then I sabotage the hotel's records. Why, you might ask? Because the man from the Middle East is going to give me a $200,000 finder's fee. And essentially ends his speech by saying, I'm scum. I actually have to say, I loved Madden. And I loved his performance, the actor, whoever played him. I thought he was great. That whole scene, he did a really good job with that. I thought it was I agree. He really did deliver. It was was a very entertaining scene in the movie watching him. Because his eyes are all like, what am I saying? But he's still like, it was good. I had a good time. I think he would have had an Emmy in his future if that went to series. As the evil evil industrialist, Madden. Comes back to steal the same goddamn hotel. Every week. But... Now that the hotel's been saved, time is still running out for them to get back to that spaceship and get back to that closing window. So Conrad has discovered this in that the dad, Zeph, who you are right to say is stupid, he spills the beans to him. Like, the dad just tells Zeph, he's like, oh, our, ho- our ship is gonna, we have to get to our ship before the window closes. So he's on to what's happening. Zeph has spilled the beans about them needing to leave. Conrad's dragging the lake, the only place that ship could be. And they still need to get the mineral from the university in order to get the ship running again. So the mum 
seems like she's finally going to get her scene because she's sent to the university with the little boy, Dallum, to get that uh, mineral. But mostly she just is invisible in that scene because that, what, that security guard comes back? Yeah, he comes back and then go invisible. It's, it's the only scene the mom gets and it's terrible. Well, that's happening, though, we get an extended scene where Zeph finally gets to be the dad he wants to be to Tommy. Oh. Is this where he rubs his knee? Yes, he notices Tommy's been limping from that injury at the basketball game. And he says, allow me to heal that for you. We just need to lock our minds so I know everything that's happening inside of your head and everything about you while I touch your knee. I hated it. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, the, the whole point is it's supposed to be like it's a learning about the person is a byproduct of this tactile connection but in the last 30 years the scene has come across very creepy i'm gonna go you one further jordan i think this scene was deliberate (laughs) i think the intention was to eventually build a subplot where the father is a sexual predator he's grooming tommy (laughs) jeez and uh what i thought was funny too was during that scene because the whole point of it was to get Tommy to cry because Tommy's so closed off and like he's been stoic since his parents died and and he's not going to be able to move past the, this intense pain and he has to get this poor boy that he just met to cry and part of what he did was just to tell him to move on like I'll get over it and let it go your parents are dead get over it just cry you got a lot of mixed messages about how to deal with grief from this film I really loved seeing all the close-ups of Tommy as he's trying to cry. There's like a minute of close-ups of Tommy trying to cry. And the, just the the most saccharine of soundtracks during it. And, and I didn't even mind it because just something about all TV and movies from that period of time has got that really cloying soundtrack and really heavy-handed emotional dialogue it just seems part like it looked like little house in a lot of ways but in little house it's charming and pa didn't look like a diddler (laughs) well this guy's no michael landon to be fair no he is not (laughs) at any rate now that uh tommy has come to terms with the death of his parents the mom has gone she's checked out those minerals she's got away from that security guard and what she's discovered is the mineral they're looking for is on Earth, but only in a trace element. There isn't enough to get them to that window. Did we say what the element's called? I just remember it was oily. The, the element's called Florinor. So now they have a new problem. They are going to have to stay on Earth. And Grandpa thinks, it's like, it's fine. You guys can stay. We'll help you guys settle in. We just need to do two things in order to keep you here safely. One... We need to destroy that ship before Conrad finds it. And two, we need to get you new identities so that you can blend into society. I would add three, lock Zeph up. (laughs) Just put him in an institution? Get rid of Zeph? He needs to be off the streets or at least registered. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Thankfully, getting a new identity is the easy part of the thing. Because as Tommy puts it, computers... Everything is computers nowadays. Not to Grandpa, who doesn't have any of the hotel stuff backed up on computers. It's going to take three days to put the files back together. It's a week, Jordan. It's a big job. A week. (laughs) Uh, Space Mom and Teva take pretty quick work of that by hacking the U.S. government computer center. 
and uh, giving them the new family name, the Robinsons. Yeah, this show was like a reverse Lost in Space. It's true. I think they refer to them as the Swiss Family Robinson at some point as well. Mm-hmm. I have a side note on this whole like new identity thing. And it's just a note for the screenwriter that would have been a cleaner thing to do with this, with this episode. Wouldn't it have been better if they needed new identities? Why not just take the dead parents' identities? Because they were dead. But that's how you take a person's identity. You find a dead person and you just take their identity. Grandpa's on board. They could just take those identities and just like roll on out. I, I mean, Luke, I don't think that's a good idea. I just the emotional toil on Tommy having to call this stranger. Like it just seems twisted. No, Tommy's already into it. He wants that daddy. T- Tommy's into it. She's already into his mom rule. Yeah, once like, once you get a lady to tuck you into bed, she's your mom for life, as they say. That's true. <laughs> anyway, now they just got to get rid of this flying saucer, which is a little more complicated. Apparently, he still has enough power, and they figure the lake they crashed into happens to also be a volcanic crater from the beginning of time. So if they can just power it up and fly it into the crater, it will fall so deep into the lake, no one will ever be able to find it. Well, they say it's bottomless, right? There's no bottom. It goes all the way through to the other side of the planet. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's science. Two things about this part was, one, I thought the underwater spaceships, like when you saw it while they were scuba diving, I thought that looked pretty good. And then two, when they actually get on the spaceship, I was like, why is this the first time I'm seeing the inside of a spaceship in a science fiction show? I should have seen it earlier. That's true. Third one is actually, they're going to drop it off a crater and we're never to see it again. I also, my note was too, it's just like huge error. You're going to want that spaceship for the rest of the series. Don't throw it into a bottomless pit. I agree. Only for those beautiful salt lamps that seem to operate it. Yes, it's true. It is, uh, the interior is like two modern recliners, very minimalistic. And then a bunch of salt lamps glowing, which appear to be the power source. The walls look like they were white pool noodles all over the walls. I assume for insulation. I did want to note, though, because basically to get to that spaceship, they have to dive under the lake to get into it. And it's Zeph and two 11-year-old boys, and they free dive to the bottom of that lake. No oxygen. Well, it was only three meters. It was only three meters? That's what they said. That was three meters underwater. So they had to get to it fast because they were for sure going to find it while they were dragging the lake. <laughs> if it was three meters, wouldn't that ship be sticking out of the water? Perhaps he meant three meters from the top of the ship to the, you know, top of the lake. I suppose. At any rate, they do do it. They get the ship temporarily operational. They gather a few meager possessions into a bag. And then they swim out of the ship as it falls off in miniature into a giant bottomless pit. And poor Conrad is foiled once again because we cut to the next day and the National Register's headline reads, Massive Flying Saucer Hunt Called Off, Labeled Hoax. Not a great headline, by the way. It's not catchy. Also, I'm worried about Conrad and if he has a family to feed. It's just that season of the X-Files where Mulder lost his job. I felt for him. But things are looking up for Zeph because he's got a new job. (laughs) As the manager of the hotel. Grandpa's hired him. Classic nepotism, am I right? Uh, they're not related. He didn't take his, his dead son's identity like I wanted. Well... I think it's still a form of nepotism if you hire aliens that you start living with. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I did like, though, Gramp at some point. He's happy to have hired him, but he wants to talk about his unorthodox methods. Like, 
levitating the water out of the pool so he can sweep underneath it. Classic Zeph. Honestly, don't tell me about that scene and don't show me. <laughs> yeah. This movie was filled with just exposition and, and talking and very little visual delights. It was just this happens and then they you know once in a while they'll spray paint a monkey green and uh wiggle their noses to a xylophone (laughs) and this feels like it's the last scene of the movie like we know they got away they got new identities and he's got a new job and you're like well here comes the credits Mm -hmm. but before the credits run there is one last scene and that elderly groundskeeper is back to close out the movie as he should be i loved it travis why don't you walk us through it all right so he's in an office, which is why I think he's the assistant coach or an assistant coach, because he's sitting in the coach's office. The coach walks in and is yells at him. He's like, why are you sitting alone in the dark? And then uh, he's like, a monkey ate all my light bulbs. The end. <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's true. The 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 final line of the show of this old man looking very sad in a dark office is he looks at Cameron and says, quote, that little boy's green monkey ate my light bulbs. Royal credits. <laughs> I couldn't have thought of a better ending for any movie. So uh, I was very happy with that final scene. I felt bad for him because he didn't have any light bulbs or apparently the wherewithal to find more light bulbs. All right. Well, before we rate these uh, this, this this TV movie, do you guys have any final notes you want to talk about? Any things we didn't get into yet? We talked about how the dad, uh, Zeph, might have been a pedophile, right? I think I brought it up. <laughs> You're good then? Yeah, no further questions. I feel bad because, like, these guys were just all working their jobs, and uh, he wasn't a pedophile. I just was making a joke, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> Travis with a big backtrack at the end. <laughs> well, it, it, he, he, he creeped me out. He did. But I know that he wasn't intentionally trying to creep me out. Now, I know Jordan's episode or answer to this question because he's already stated it, but... Travis, what do you think a typical episode of this series would have been? Jordan thinks it's all sports all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Volleyball episode two. It's uh, uh, lawn bowling episode three. I actually found myself daydreaming about this today because I knew it was, a pi- it was supposed to be a pilot. Obviously, it would have been a lot of everyday uh, them adjust fish out of water them adjusting to life on earth with a little touch of magic to help things go easier but (laughs) you know sometimes you just got to do things the human way but i figured that every like um let's say four episodes or so there'd be some sort of outside coming in conflict like a rival space family with a with a (laughs) purple chimp and like the on the hunt, or or the space window temporarily opening, and maybe they even have the the oily quartz, and they can leave, but they decide not to because they're so fond of Ned Anderson and Tommy now. And uh, yeah, I just I really could see this. Oh, the groundskeeper. <laughs> you could do a whole bottle episode of that groundskeeper just thinking about his life. You think Teva's ever gonna go on a date? I think she fucks, man. Yeah, I think off camera, there's a lot of fucking. <laughs> I really focused in on the idea that uh, they got jobs at that hotel. So I kind of thought it was going to be like the Faulty Towers or something. Like there's going to be a lot of hotel-centric episodes with different guests coming in every week. Different celebrity guests. Because I didn't even think about the hotel angle. I love a show set in a hotel. The show Hotel. <laughs> um, Palace Guard. 
Do you remember Palace Guard? Nope. I just love a show set in a hotel. There's at least three of them. And this show could have been a fourth. Anyway, I yeah, it, I think you could have gotten quite a few seasons, or at least until Burl Lives died. On that sad note, do you guys want to rate this episode? Mm-hmm. So, Travis, I don't know if you know, but we typically rate these out of 10 stars, the IMDb scale, if you will. I'm trying to decide, because on one hand, I found it painful to watch. I really was disappointed in myself uh, for choosing this over something a little more... Meaty? Adult. Yeah, like, ultimately, it made Mac and me look like Solaris or something, but <laughs> it was... I'll, I'm going to give it a a charitable seven. I think that's more than it deserves, but I feel like giving it a seven because I love Pearl Lives. What can I say? You know this. Well, I was watching it, and it is so wholesome, and it is so dumb, and it is just like... It's just a family movie. Like, that's all, that's what it is. It's like, this just wanted to be a show for families. But, oh, my God, I loved it so much at the same time. It was so dumb and so stupid. Uh, I'm going to go 7.5 because it was a blast to watch. Every scene seemed to have something weird and some weird tangent. Like, now it's basketball. Uh, now we're going to a swimming club or a swimming pool, and she's going to perv out. I'm like, all right, sure, this is great. 7.5. It was never boring. Well, it was never boring. I, my my review is it's not good, but very much like what Luke said, it's it's very wholesome and it's just harmless. So I'm, but I'm still giving it a five out of ten. <laughs> I was thinking of a five. I had too good a time. I I, I thought I was going to hate it, and I, I was just like, you know what? This is a fun time. You sound like an eight. I sound like an eight. My voice is no. That I think you want. I think you're you're talking like this film is an eight for you, but you only gave it a seven point five. I agree with him. I was going to give it a 7 originally, so I bumped it up to 7.5. I'm going to go 6.5 then. Just to <laughs> offset me? Hey, fun fact, Jordo. Did you know Burl Ives is the only artist on my wedding playlist that has more than one song aside from Dolly Parton? I did not know that, weirdly. <laughs> but I love Burl Ives. I love his voice. So is that, that, and that's not going to move it back up to a 7 for you? It's a 7.75. <laughs> Stop it quick. The score keeps changing. Our, our answers are in. We're moving on. Keep in track of this, Snodgrass. <laughs> <laughs> Snodgrass is behind me. He's on the scoreboard. And he's in a tizzy. He's going to bite me. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for Earthbound. Travis, thank you so much for joining us. You were fantastic. I had a great time doing this. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. I know you're kicking yourself about your ep- your choice of TV movie, but I think you did a great job. I, I was glad we watched it. Yeah, I guess ultimately me too. But, listener, if you want to experience the wonder of uh, Earthbound, you'll be able to see some clips of it on our Instagram and Twitter, at Continuum Drag. And if you uh, have any thoughts you want to share with us on Earthbound, maybe you've seen it, maybe you love it, maybe you own a green monkey with a mullet, you can email us at ContinuumDrag at gmail.com. And uh, that about wraps up for this episode. So, Travis, thank you again for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. Jordan, I just sent you a text. It's got a picture of the poster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, listener, thank you for tuning in. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.
Luke, how how much longer do you hope that Travis and I talk about Little House on the Prairie? I mean, hours. I'm sure the listeners like more Little House, more Little House. <laughs> that little girl fell down the hill every week. <laughs> hey, Travis, do you remember when Johnny Cash showed up on Little House on the Prairie? No, but do you remember when the wolves attacked? Like it was a Jurassic Park episode. I don't know. <laughs> whole episode where like they were being attacked by wolves and they were trying to get away from wolves and hide from wolves. It was thrilling. I remember when they thought their dog might have rabies. Ugh. Good show. Anyways, that's not why you called. <laughs> I'm cutting this all out and putting it at the end of the episode. <laughs>